We'll be reading this morning from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. Matthew eleven twenty five through 30. At the time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm glad you're here today, uh, especially with what we're going to be launching today. We're starting a new series of lessons that's, that's going to last all year. Uh, that's a long series, people, um, but uh, I think it'll be one of the best things we've ever done. I, I hope you brought your Bibles, and if you got a, a, a bulletin, if you'll turn that to the back, you'll have a study guide, and, and you can follow along. Father tucked his son in bed, had the prayer, said their usual good night routine, went downstairs. After just a few moments, the dad heard his son say, Dad, can I have a drink? So the dad got up, went upstairs, got him a drink, took it to his bed, said goodnight again, went back downstairs. Just a few moments later, the little boy said again to his dad, Dad, can I have a drink? So the dad begrudgingly went back upstairs, got him another drink, said goodnight, went back down. Just a few moments, you know what happened next. The little boy said, Dad, can I have a drink? Well, Dad wasn't going to have it, and he said, no, son, you don't need another drink. In fact, if I have to come back up there again, I'm going to punish you. Dead silence. Then the little boy popped up and said, Dad, when you come back up here to punish me, would you bring me a drink? <laughs> you know, there's things we hear from our children when they're young. Bring me a drink is one of them. Tell me a story is another one. You know, there's just something physiological about a story. We love a story. And there's something about us, just, just like water gives us something to drink, it quenches our spirit. A story gives our minds something. Jesus taught in stories. We love a good story. We love a good movie. We love a good book. We love for people to tell us a story about their life. We dream in stories. In fact, think about it. What, 10, 15 years ago, we would have never heard of reality TV. And now it's on every channel. In fact, it dominates television because there's something about a human nature where we like to know a story. We like a story about people. And what's interesting is that God left us a story and his story is seamless from the beginning of time until now. And I hope we can learn that this year. Now, you may know this already or this may be news to you, but our Bibles do not appear in chronological order. For the most part, they are, but, but not all of it. Some of it is grouped by authors, and, and some of it we're not really sure about. But there's one overriding story in how it plays a part in our lives. We're going to be using the book, the story, this year in our approach of trying to study Scripture. And the first time I, I heard about this, uh, this book, this story, the Bible in the story form, was a couple of years ago. I was visiting a church, and, and, and they had used this. 
and spoke so highly of it. And then uh, Dale and Margie Huckabee, members here who snowbird in Florida, the church where they go in Fort Myers, they were doing this. And so when they came back, uh, they were saying, Randy, you know, we need to do this here. It's great. Uh, then this summer, my daughter was an intern of the church in Mayfair in Huntsville, and, and they were doing the story. So I called, I know the preacher there, I, I called him up and I said, tell me about it. He said, it's too much to tell you over the phone, come see me. So I planned a road trip and took Tommy Hemphill with me, we went and sat down with some of their ministry staff, and, and they just spoke so glowingly about how the whole church just preaching through this and how, how good it has been. So you may be saying, well, what is the story? You know, maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've already have a copy. Maybe you've read it yourself. Um, here's the book. It's called The Story. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about it. Uh, it's um, uh, it doesn't include everything. Not every scripture in your Bible is there. It's about 80 percent of the Old and New Testament. Um, and if you've got a copy, I would encourage you to bring it with you each Sunday. Um, if you don't have a copy, that's okay. You don't have to have one. You've got the original copy. You've got your Bible, and that's all right. But if you do want one, uh, Amazon sells them for about 10 bucks. Um, so they're not very expensive. Um, there's a little concern. Some people think, well, the story, is that the right name for the Bible? And I kind of get that. Because, and I've heard, you've heard me say before, I don't like to refer to people in the Bible as characters, because it sounds almost like make-believe. And so maybe that, that the term story is not the best, and yet at the same time, we maybe speak out of both sides of our mouth, because our beloved songs, I love to tell the story, or tell me the story of Jesus. In no way do we imply that it's made up or, or, or make-believe. Well, let me give you a little bit of explanation about how we're going to use the book and how we're going to go through this year. Uh, every year at graduation of our high school seniors, we as a church give them a great study Bible, uh, an expensive study Bible. Um, uh, my children have those. In fact, I was looking at them again. And like you've got a study Bible, you know what I mean, where you open it up and it's a thick Bible. I mean, it's three and a half, four inches thick. And, and, and you open any page and you have the, the text, just whatever version it is. And it may be three-fourths or two-thirds of Scripture. And in the bottom third, there will be some commentary. Or maybe a, a, a graph or a map or maybe some uh, a glossary explaining some terms. And so what you know is that when you're reading through this, the scripture is inspired, the commentary is not. And so you have to read it with that kind of, of spirit and know that. Well, the story is the same way. What you have is, is based on the NIV and you open up any page and basically it's going to be scripture. You're not going to have book, chapter, and verse necessarily, but you just go through the scripture. But there are some things that I mentioned earlier that are not there. And so there's some commentary it's a different font, so you know when you see it. And what that is, is sometimes maybe a word of explanation, or maybe it's a paragraph that might connect two scriptures, as again, trying to put it in chronological order. To me, it's never more evident than, if you ever studied like the harmony of the Gospels, and you try to put all four Gospels together and what happened when, uh, that's when this kind of context really comes to play. You can follow Jesus, everything he said and did, you know, from beginning to end. That's where this kind of approach helps. Um, but again, just like any study Bible, the commentary is, is not inspired. For some of you who have read the Bible through many times and you've been a, a deep Bible student, maybe going through this 
might seem shallow or elementary to you, and, and, and I hope that's okay. Because there's some of us who've never read the Bible through. There's some who've tried, maybe got discouraged. You get in some of those that you wish you could skip over, uh, or, or maybe just never understood the, the whole chronological order, how it all flows together. I mentioned to you before that uh, I, I'm, I'm not a Buick. You've heard that phrase before, a brought up in church kid. You know, that's not my history. I didn't go to church for the first 10 years of my life. Didn't go to Sunday school. So when I started at age 10, I was behind. I didn't know the stories that all your children know. I didn't know Old Testament for New Testament. And so I was desperately trying to put it all together. Even after obtaining a Bible degree, I still just down in my psyche felt late or short that others knew more than me. And maybe you feel that way too. Maybe others, you know, they went to a Christian college or they went to a Christian school or they grew up in a Christian home or they've been in church all their life and they know all of this. And and maybe you look at it and you're like, you just kind of get overwhelmed. I want you to be encouraged in this study. To open your Bibles and open your hearts and and study with us and and go with us. Um, It wasn't until years later, even after getting out of college, that I was able to really connect all the dots and put it together for myself. In fact, I was doing some, some research about the story. One man said this in his review. He said, I've been going to Sunday school all my life, even been teaching Sunday school for years, but I've never understood how the whole Bible fits together until now. The folks at the Mayfair Church said it's the best thing they've ever done as a church. They were preaching about it every Sunday. Some of the Bible classes got into it. Some of the families got into it in their homes. And they were studying Scripture like never before. And to see how it all fits together week in, week out. And that's what I want us to do. Many times we say, you know, I'm going to read the Bible through. It's January. I'm going to start. But how many times do we not finish? Parents. Especially dads. How many times have you heard a sermon and just felt the guilt, I need to do more to lead my family? Maybe have a devotional, maybe have a Bible study, but you don't know how. Maybe you didn't grow up seeing that done, so you're not even sure where to begin. There are numerous aids. If you Google this, you'll see them. All kinds of things you can buy to go along with the story. I'm not endorsing those. You don't have to buy one. As a father, as a mother, as a grandparent, you can let this be a part of your family. I mean, after the sermon, you can get together during the week and talk about the lesson and what that means. Or, and you're going to see at the bottom of the study guide, there's homework. You need to read ahead. And maybe you could do that as a family each week. Just, you know, maybe take a couple of pages, a couple of chapters, and just read through and just kind of set the stage as a family. So many good things that we can do, and it can be a blessing in so many ways. But what's powerful, and what my prayer is as we go through this is for all of us to see how it all connects. How it all comes together. That it's a story, it's God's story, and it's all for you. So, if you have a copy of the story, or if you buy one, bring it with you on Sunday. But bring it along with your Bible. And the reason is, we're going to be covering a lot of things. In fact, if you look at the bottom there on your study guide, it says Genesis 1 through 4 and 6 through 9. That's going to be your homework for next week. Uh, or you can just read chapter 1 of the story if that's easier for you. You might rather read it out of the, uh, a different version, and that's your choice. But we're going to cover a lot. Next week, we're going to cover the story of Adam and Eve. And at that point, they 
Well, they need covering. Uh, and then we're going to study Noah. You know, we're, we're going to skip some too because we're going to try to get through this in about 31 chapters. And just kind of like any time you try to do it all, you, you can't get it all. And so some things we are going to skip over. But bring the story with you if you like. But again, bring your own Bible. This is not a replacement to Scripture, to your own Bible. It's a help, and I want you to see it that way. But at the same time, we want to make no apologies to, as a church, studying Scripture together from beginning to end, making this emphasis on the Bible. And I say that because I I, I see this to be true. I I know you would agree with me. Uh, Biblical illiteracy is just rampant. We don't know the Bible like we used to know it. Uh, Or at least it seems that way. Maybe that's not true, but that's my perception. I read this, and maybe you've heard this before. George Barna did a recent study which he asked questions, a lot of questions. One of them was, who is Joan of Arc? 12% of people who call themselves Christians says she's Noah's wife. I know, it's laughable, isn't it? Maybe you're totally new to Christianity. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Let me encourage you to stay right here with us, study with us. See, I imagine some may, may... may hear this through our television program or, or maybe through watching on the internet or maybe right here in person diving in. But I, I want you to know there is no embarrassment over not knowing the Bible. There is embarrassment from a month from now not knowing it more. That's where the embarrassment comes in, not doing something about it. All of us, you know, well, we got hit or miss here or there, piecemeal maybe. Maybe you didn't grow up going to church or maybe you didn't grow up going to Sunday school. Maybe you feel like you're a little day late. But what are you going to do about it? That's what I want this study to be. Because I know what happens is sometimes we think, I know Scripture. I know a little bit. Maybe the 23rd Psalm. Maybe I can quote the Lord's Prayer. Maybe I know John 3.16. But what about more than that? Well, why is the Bible so important? You know this already. The Bible is different than any other book. It's God-inspired Word. And think about it. it. Not just because of of history, not just because of of inspiration, but think of it from a logical standpoint. Why would God in heaven send his son in the flesh to live a perfect life, to die for us, and not give us some record, some written testimony of what it's all about? Of course, he's going to give us the story. The Bible is unlike any other book you've ever read. Look at these verses that are on the screen. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Peter quotes uh, Isaiah the prophet. All men are like grass and all their glory are like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 We also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, You accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. God's word is powerful. Mark Twain said this, every morning when I get up, I read the Bible and I read the newspaper. He said, I like to know what both sides are up to. We need to read God's word. Because what we need to know is we're not here by accident. God has a purpose for our life. And what I want us to see is God's story. And even more so to make it personal. How you fit into it. 
So let's look at Luke 24. Open your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one out of the pew. The verses are going to be on the screen. Again, to set the setting here, uh, it is the Sunday after Jesus died. He had been on earth for 33 years. He just finished his three years of ministry. It had all come to an end. He preached, he taught, but the people turned against him. They crucified him. He was buried for three days. He's in the tomb. And in Luke 24, we pick up the story. It's a Sunday morning. The apostles were men. We know that. But the women are also an integral part of the story. The, 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 the men are just dumbfounded. And it's the women who go to the tomb to, 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 to be there for him. But when they get there, you remember the story. Bill talked about it a moment ago. Much to their surprise, the stone was rolled away. The body wasn't there. The angels told him he's not here, he's risen. So the women are all excited. They go back and tell Peter and all the apostles what they saw. They weren't sure what to make of it. He's dead. The stone wasn't supposed to move away. Now the body's gone. Where did they take the body? What does this mean? They're so confused. This is where we pick up the story. In Luke 24, verse 17. Here are the two men. They're part of that confusion. They're walking on the way to Emmaus on the road. Says he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Why are their faces downcast? Well, again, they're part of this confusion. They've been following Jesus. They've been a disciple. They've given their life to him, but he's dead. It's over. And now the body's gone. So what does this mean? Nobody's seen him yet. But notice this. Before Jesus tells them, his story. He asked them their story. So here's the number one takeaway. Your story matters to God. Fill in the blank. That's the first one. Your story matters to God. No matter what your story is, no matter what your history is, your story matters to him. These men's faces were downcast. It was a time of confusion. They were discouraged. I think that's putting it mildly. Life doesn't make sense. And at these moments, God wants to know what you're thinking. He wants to know what you're feeling. He understands what's happening. And sometimes it does us well to verbalize that to Him. Why are you downcast? The truth is, most people don't care too much about God's story until they realize God cares about their story. He asked, what things? Verse 19. Jesus is kind of playing dumb with them. What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our own rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped. We had hoped. That he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. These guys believed this. We had hoped he was the one. What is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd been to see a vision of angels who said he's alive. But some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they didn't see, but him they did not see. I want you to notice here how Jesus listens to their story. They were longing. They were waiting. They were waiting for something. They were hoping. They were hoping for Jesus. And now their hope is gone. And they're honest with this man at this point that's a stranger to them. They don't know who he is. It doesn't make sense. And you know, it's not much different than even today in our story. People, all people, 
are searching for something, for something more. I'm reminded of a 60 Minutes interview that aired several years ago. It was an interview with New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady. At that time, he was 28 years old. He had already won three Super Bowls. It was an accomplishment that just set him apart from so many others. And in addition to you know, winning the Super Bowl, he had all these uh, lucrative endorsement deals that were just knocking at his door. I mean, he was at the pinnacle. But this is what he said. You might recall the interview. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think that there is something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. But me, I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't this. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, this guy's won three Super Bowls. And yet what he says is exactly right. There's more to it than that. There's more to it than just this life. There's more to it than just these accomplishments. There's something more. And I think it begins with discovering how your story intersects God's story. That's when the meaning of your life really comes to light. It's taking the focus off yourself and placing it on God. It's living a life of service and devotion, of selflessness. It's giving. Your story matters to God. Can I tell you something? God knows when you're disappointed. Or to use Luke's words, downcast. God knows when life is chaotic. God knows when you're confused. God knows when you had hopes and they didn't or haven't yet come to fruition. God knows and He cares and He's involved. I want you to notice how Jesus responds to these two on the road to Emmaus. Look at verse 27. And begin with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them what was said in the Scripture, what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. Now, I don't know how you imagine this going on, but I think of Him as, as, as talking in third person about these things. They don't recognize Him. And we don't quite understand that. Maybe he had a hood over his face. Maybe it was some kind of supernatural you know, block that kept him from seeing and, and discerning that this was Jesus himself. But he begins to teach them. And while they walk along the road, they're on the road to Emmaus still, Jesus teaches them. And he takes them all the way back to the beginning. He goes all the way back to Moses, the beginning of their, their identity as a people. All the way back to the prophets. Why is that important? Why, why did he not just say, it's me, and take the hood off? Or, or open their eyes at that point? He didn't do that. He went all the way back to the beginning. And what he's showing is at the beginning of the story, Jesus is there. Jesus has always been there. Jesus is a part of the story. So this is the second takeaway. God's story is all about Jesus. If you don't know that yet about the Bible, you need to know that today. God's story is all about Jesus. It's the overriding theme and message. And what we'll discover as we go through this week after week and month after month is the story is seamless and it's consistent. I mean, the Bible, again, is so different from every other book you've ever studied. Three different languages written over three different continents took over 1,500 years for it to be written. That's 60 different generations. More than 40 different authors, many of whom didn't live even at the same place or time. And yet there's one unwavering, consistent theme 
It's God's story. It's God's message. God, of all things, the message is this. He wants to redeem to save His people. That's it. That's the story of Scripture. To redeem mankind despite their failures. And God wants us to be reconciled to Him. To be in this right relationship. I put this on the screen if you want to fill in the blanks. The Bible could be summarized in three sentences. You can take all the Old Testament and summarize it saying Jesus is coming. And you can take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and say Jesus is here. And the rest of the New Testament, Jesus is coming. That's the Bible in three sentences. So you better be ready. You better be prepared to know the story. God's story is all about Jesus and how he came to redeem us from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And here in Luke 24, Jesus walks along the road with these people, these two men, these these downcast disciples who are so confused. And he takes them back all the way back to the prophets and he shares the story of the Messiah. You see, without Jesus, our story, our story is never complete, regardless of how much money you make. Regardless of what position you have, the house you live in, how long you live, who's in your family. Without Jesus, it's meaningless. It's incomplete. So one of the things I want us to see as we go through this is what you'll kind of see this as we go through. There's like an upper story and a lower story. You probably thought of this in ways, maybe not use those terms. But here's what I mean by that. The lower story is the one that is being written and told from a six-foot perspective. It's kind of horizontal, as as man would see it. And the upper story is written from above. It's as God sees it. The big story, the big picture. It's the vertical view. Now, in the lower story, it's dealing with things. It's it's every day. It's day-to-day. It's paying bills. It's crying babies. It's dealing with grief. It's going to work. It's trying to get over the flu. It's deadlines. It's It's life. That's the lower story. It just kind of happens. But the upper story, that's when we discover. That's when we learn. That's where we see what God is up to. How God sees things. What the big picture is. What's the goal? See, the upper story is God's story. And each week as we go through this, I want us to look straight from Scripture, what God's up to, but then also see how that relates with us in our own life. See, look back in Luke 24, the road to Emmaus. What you see here is the upper story and the lower story going on at the same time. We, we can see it from God's perspective because we know how it ended. We know the story. But these two at the moment, they're right in the middle of the lower story. Their, their eyes are downcast. Their, their hearts are heavy. And think about it. Everything that they said to Jesus, you know, what things? He talks about all, of, all that's going on. Nothing that they said was inaccurate. Nothing they said to Jesus was wrong. It was all truth. The problem was, it just wasn't complete. It wasn't everything. And that's where Jesus came along and told them the rest of the story. To open their eyes and help them to see the bigger picture. You see, when it's left up to us, all we can ever tell is the incomplete story. Because that's all we can see. It's God is the one who completes the story. Look in, look in Luke 24, verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were, go, he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. Now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And, and I love this part. Verse 30. 
When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. What a moment that had to have been. Can you imagine? In fact, I think verse 32 just kind of says it. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to, with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? What a moment. Our hearts burning. They knew these scriptures. And so here's this stranger who's teaching them and they know it's true. And at that moment, it all comes together. So here's the third takeaway. God's story is still being written. I hope you know that. I hope you believe that. See, there are some who have a theology of God that, that at the end of Jesus' life, when the, when the Bible was written, that the book was closed, and God kind of went back to His room, and He's kind of waiting to the end of, of, of time. Hands folded, foot patting, waiting, waiting, waiting. And we are just kind of coasting, world spinning, waiting for that day as well. Folks, you don't read that in Scripture. What we're doing when we open the book of books and start at the beginning and work our way through, what we see here is we're not just learning a story, we are becoming a part of it. That's what happened to these two. They'd been there with Jesus, but even in that moment, they, they didn't know who He was. They didn't recognize Him. But when they did, they were forever changed. Their eyes were open. See, God's story is being written thousands of years before you were born, before you came on the scene. God's story was written when the flood covered the earth. God's story was being written when He promised that elderly man that his elderly wife would give birth and that their descendants would be so many it would be more than the sands of the sea. God's story was written in the manger in Bethlehem. God's story was written on the cross of Calvary. God's story was written when the church started to grow and grow and grow. And God's story is still being written today. God is still God. He's not closed the book. God's story is being written in the life of the factory worker who feels like he's the only one who believes in God. God's story is still being written in that spouse who could leave her husband. But she doesn't. She gives him another chance. God's story is written in that one who has the disease, but instead of cursing it, embraces it and gives God the glory through the whole process. In Luke 24, it says their eyes were opened. And they recognized Him. That's what I pray that will happen to all of us. Their eyes will be open like never before. See, I don't want you just to know the story. The goal is for you to know the author of the story. In the fall of 2008, C and I began a new chapter in our lives as the parent of a college student. And that is not an easy transition. Some of you know that. Uh, Marcy chose to attend Harding University, and C and I went to Freed Hardeman. We didn't know anybody at Harding. We didn't know anything about Harding. It's, it's a great school, but it wasn't what we were familiar with. But we went to the new parent orientation. We met some of the people there. 
including a nice man named Bruce McClarty. Bruce McClarty was one of their vice presidents and taught Marcy's freshman Bible class. But since then, in the years that passed, we've interacted with Bruce more. Uh, he finished his dissertation, became Dr. McClarty, and then, you may know this already, was named the, the future president of Harding University. All this happened during those four years Marcy was there. And things progressed for Marcy and for us as well. She graduated and we were happy for that. She met a, a nice Christian man and decided to get married. And so their wedding was last December at Camp Dakota, just outside Harding. On the day before the rehearsal, and we were going through a lot personally during that time, if you remember. And so we, we drive over to another state to do this wedding. And, and that's kind of hard if you ever had to plan a wedding, you know, in another state. And, and a daughter who's not really good at details. I mean, we just weren't sure if it was going to come together or not. The night before the rehearsal dinner, I learned that um, I, I was the officiating minister, but to officiate a wedding in the state of Arkansas, you had to be registered at their courthouse, which didn't cost, it's like $5, but so it's not the expense, but you had to be uh, a, a special form signed by elders and notarized and on file before the ceremony. Well, the last thing I wanted was for my daughter to be in some illegitimate wedding, you know, and for me to be the one who, who did that. So what do you do? The La Quinta Inn's a nice place, but their concierge service didn't cover that. The next morning, I went to the campus of Harding University, and I looked up Bruce. Bruce was very familiar with Arkansas's stringent requirements for ministers, he had a form, a blank form. He said, come on. He took me around and we found a couple of elders who were there on campus, signed the form, got it notarized. Bruce put me in his car, drove me to the courthouse. I did pay the $5. What's the point? The point is this, don't get married in Arkansas. That's the point, right? Why did Bruce do that? Why did he drop everything to help me? I can tell you why. Because over the course of four years, we'd spent some time together. We'd interfaced some. Yes, he had become Dr. Bruce McClarty, about to be the new president. But in my moment of need, he was Bruce, my friend. And my point is this. I don't want you to just know about God. I want you to know God. I don't want you to just be able to quote book, chapter, and verse and be able to tell stories that are in the story, but be able to say, I know the God of the story. And He's my God. My challenge for you is to allow God's story to intersect your story. That He will be your God. And that your eyes will be open like never before. If you've never turned your life over to Jesus. It begins simply by naming the name of Jesus. That He is Lord. He is the Son of God. You change your life. The Bible calls that repentance. You answer His call to baptism. Let Him wash you clean. Everything you've ever done is gone. It's as if you never sinned. And that's how amazing God is. He sees you that way. He makes you a new creature. 
and he adds you to his kingdom. Or if we can just pray for you, maybe that 2014 will be a new start as a Christian. A day of, uh, a new year of, of faith. However we can help you, once you come as we stand and sing.